There. Welcome to our Soul Food Broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Daniel chapter 19. If you can, please stand when you get that. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. Bible says, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair over the head, and covered it with clothes. So when David sent messengers to take David, or when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. When the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he could escape? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. He and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now I was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is in Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until, until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Father, we thank you for another chance that we can gather together and learn from your word. And like Roy said this morning, Lord, just let it go into good, fertile hearts and let it bring about a great crop in our lives. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. For suspected drug trafficker, Ronaldo Silva prison was a real drag. And speaking of drag, maybe that's what gave him the idea. In a brilliant moment of inspiration, he decides to escape in what he thought was the perfect disguise. The plan was that when his wife would come to visit, she would smuggle in some of her clothes until eventually he had all that he needed. Well, the day finally arrives, so he straps on her bra, throws on a wig, and pours his curves into her pretty blue dress. 
He even shaved his arms and legs just for good measure. He then squeezed into a pair of gorgeous heels. But his plan to slither through the prison grates went awry after he forgot one thing. It can take a woman years to learn how to glide naturally in high heels. Despite that, amazingly, Silva managed to get past the prison guards. But a policeman strolling the streets outside became suspicious and decided to follow him. He noticed that the woman was walking funny and looked a little strange, so he followed him to the bus station, where two men were waiting on motorcycles to pick him up. The policeman approached him and managed to arrest him and bring him back, still dressed as a woman. Now, I have managed to procure a photo of Mr. Silva, and when I show it to you, I think you will be as surprised as I was that his disguise did not work. If you'll direct your attention to the TV, please show them the photo, John. (laughs) Now look, I don't know what the women looked like in that town, but the fact that he made it past the prison guards is quite alarming. Well, even though Mr. Silva's escape attempt didn't work, some escape attempts do. And this morning, we're going to read of an account that actually succeeded. Look at verse 11 with me, please. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. David knew that the time had come for him to leave Saul's presence and hide. But first he went home to see his wife, Michael. David would now begin about ten years of exile, during which God would use that to make a leader out of him. We learned last time that God would protect David in four different ways during this chapter. Last time we saw that God protected David through a prince that pleaded his case, as Jonathan tried to reason with his father, the king. I then reminded us of Jesus, the prince who pleads our case, to the king of the universe. This week we're going to see the other three ways that God protected David. Secondly, God protects David through a bride who will protect him. The same is true for us also. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And who makes up the church? The people who are a part of it. We are what the scripture calls living stones. Now, you, of course, know that this building is not the church. We are the church. And when we leave this building, the church leaves in different directions out into the world. But here's what I want us to get. The people in the body of Christ are the bride of Christ, and they're the ones who can save your life. This morning, we're going to find out that Michael the Bride was far from perfect. You might think the people in the church are all liars. That's okay. Michael was also. You might think the people in church are idolaters. That's okay. Michael was also. Of course, we're not perfect either, are we? Like like Michael, on a practical level, we are a blemished bride indeed. But in God's eyes, because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and robed in the righteousness of our Lord, we are a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a holy priesthood, and a spotless bride. 
I've discovered in my life that when I go through the valleys of tragedies and difficulties, it is the body of Christ that I am the most thankful for. When the enemy is out to destroy you, it's the blemished bride of Christ who will rescue you. So Michael tells David, look, man, if you don't bolt, you're dead meat. That's a fairly loose translation of verse 11. And so David is lowered through a window where he escapes. Perhaps David's house was built into the wall like Rahab's in Jericho. So that escape from the house through the window also meant escape from the town. It reminds me of Paul in chapter 9, when Paul escaped Damascus by being lowered over the wall in a basket. By the way, from that point onward, Paul was known as a basket case, but you already knew that. And you know what? Sometimes the holiest and most courageous thing we can do is to make a run for it. That just doesn't sound right, does it? Escapism is usually thought of as a bad thing because it means running away from reality. But we need to see that there is much reality that we need to escape from. The stress and tension all around us is real. But we have no obligation to be in a state of constant reaction to that stress. If we can escape and be at peace in the midst of it, let us thank God for that kind of escapism. For example... Sleep is an escapism that God has built into our lives. Building a house to retreat from bad weather is escapism. Taking a vacation is escapism. Carrying an umbrella is escapism. Life is full of perfectly valid escapisms. This is where we must learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, as there are times that we should never run but stand our ground. But there are also times when the best course of action is to make like a banana and split. (laughs) Let me give you a few verses from the Bible that encourages us to flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In regards to the love of money and materialism, Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, perseverance, and gentleness. Of course, one of the best examples I can think of was in the life of Joseph. If you know the story, you'll remember that Potiphar's wives continually made sexual advances towards him. And for a while, Joseph tried to fight that battle by trying to explain to her how inappropriate that was. And yet the Bible records that she came after him day after day. As an aside, that's often how temptation is, isn't it? It tries daily to chip away at our resolve until we finally give in. Let me read to you what happened next. This is Genesis thirty-nine, eleven. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house, and there was none of the men inside the house. And she grabbed him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. As a little sermon within a sermon, even though we may resist, I think there often comes a time where we are tested beyond our ability to fight. Notice that the house was empty. 
No one is around to see if Joseph would finally give in to her advances. Here's the point I want to make. Please notice that at this point, she grabs Joseph, and now he no longer tries to reason with her. Instead, he runs for his spiritual life. If Joseph could have owned a New Testament, I bet he would have had 2 Timothy 2.22 underlined and highlighted in his Bible. It reads, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Someone made the wise comment, To linger is to court ruin. Delay is the craftiest net of Satan. It's the terrible pitfall out of which there are rare escapes. Sometimes the absolute holiest thing we can do is to run for our Christian lives. Verse 13, please. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Where it says that Michael took an image, the Hebrew word there is the word teraphim, which is a household idol. The word teraphim literally means vanishing one. And you know what? That is exactly what an idol is. It is something that vanishes. And not only that, it's something that vanishes often when you need it the very most, whether it's a thing, a person, or a feeling. Anything a person idolizes instead of the Lord will always vanish and prove impotent when they need that help the most. Unlike the solid rock of Christ, there is nothing to cling to. And by the way, it's vitally important to be able to trust in who or what we cling to. The story is told of a monastery in Portugal perched high on a 3,000-foot cliff, which is only accessible by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. The basket is pulled up by a single rope by several strong men, sweating and straining to pull the fully loaded basket up the mountain. One American tourist who visited the site got nervous halfway up the cliff when he noticed that the rope looked old and frayed. When he finally made it to the top, he asked the man in charge, How often do you guys change that rope? The monk said with a smile, Every time it breaks. (laughs) Friends, there are times in life when you wonder if the things you trust in are strong enough to hold you and keep you safe. Let me remind you that one and only one person is able to keep you and the ones you love safe and sound in a dangerous world. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we are all trusting him today. What Michael was doing with a pagan idol is a mystery that is still being debated today. Michael was depending on an idol while married to a man after God's own heart. And like her father, she too was a schemer. And yet while Michael was scheming, David was praying and trusting the Lord. And out of this experience came a psalm that he would write, Psalm 59. If you look up that psalm, you will see this heading in your Bible. For the director of music to the tune of, Do Not Destroy. I guess that was a well-known song back then, kind of like Louie Louie or something. But the heading continues. When Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. 
Now imagine this morning your house is being surrounded by men who want to kill you. And see if these words don't resonate with you. I'll pull some of the most poignant verses out of that chapter, but I encourage you to read the whole psalm later. Verse 1 of Psalm 59 says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity, and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. O Lord, for no guilt of mine, they run and set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to help me and see. They return at evening, they howl like a dog, and go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth, swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? They return at evening, they howl like a dog, and go around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they are not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of distress. When David wrote those words, he knew what it was like to live in a treacherous and dangerous world. He was facing a dangerous man named Saul who had made up his mind to kill David. This chapter tells us how David was delivered from the hands of Saul, and it gives us some clues how God will deliver us safe and sound also in this dangerous world that we live in. As we read that psalm, you saw Saul's spies running here and there, waiting for David to just emerge from his house so they could murder him. And you hear David comparing them to snarling dogs lurking in the city streets. But David's faith was in the Lord, for only the Lord could be his defense and his refuge. Now that doesn't mean that David rejected any plans of escape, because the Lord often uses human means to accomplish his divine ends. But it does mean that David's faith was not in himself or in Michael's scheming, but it was in his Lord. But his escape is pretty humorous. It says in verse 13 that Michael put a cover of goat's hair for his head and then arranged the idol with the cover so it looked like he was laying there asleep. Now, don't raise your hand, but I wonder if I'm the only one who has done that exact same thing and snuck out of the house. Not recently. When I was a teenager, I mean. <laughs> Connie is way too smart for the old goat head and pillow trick. <laughs> Let's see, I'm all off track now. But can't you imagine that scene this morning? The soldiers are in the house, and so Michael pulls the curtain back just a little bit to let them see how sick David really is. And so I can imagine the soldier peering around that curtain and then tells one of his comrades, Oh, he does look bad. Man, David is sick. He looks like a goat. Maybe they said to his wife, What's wrong with him? She'd be like, I don't know. He's sick. He's got goat head disease or something. Verse 15, please. And Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Bring him on the bed that I may kill him. 
This is a picture of the insanity and the irrationality that sin can bring us to. And so the soldiers go back, pull back the covers, only to see an idol with goat hair for its head. I hope that is on DVD when I get to heaven, because I would love to see their faces. They then bring Michael to Saul to answer for her deception. And what does she do? She lies through her teeth. That's what she does. Jonathan defended David before his own father, the king, proving that true friends stick up for one another. They watch each other's back, even if it means they might be ridiculed, persecuted, or made fun of in the process. On the other hand, compare Jonathan with Michael. When their father Saul tried to kill David, Jonathan loyally defended his friend. Now, Michael did help David escape, give her that. However, when Saul questioned her why she let David escape out the window, she replied, let me get away, why should I kill you? In other words, she made it seem as though it was David that made her do this, and it wasn't her choice at all. David's wife was more concerned about saving her own skin than telling the truth and defending her husband. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You said earlier that Michael the bride was a picture of the church, and now she's openly lying. You're right. I did say that, and I stand by what I said. Do you know why? Because I reiterate that although the church is perfect in regards to grace, it still has some problems. Namely, people. I've lost count of the times that I've said ministry would be a breeze if it wasn't for the people. People mess it up for me because they have problems and trials and difficulties. Of course, I'm being flippant. People and their problems are the very reason for ministry. Now, what I'm about to say is probably going to shock you, so please brace yourself in advance. Here it is. People that go to church are not perfect. There, I said it. Did you know the people in here aren't perfect? Not you. I mean the person you're sitting next to. It's like that old joke about the man who lived alone on a desert island for 40 years. But one day he's saved by a passing ship. But before leaving the desert island that's been his home for so many years, he's given his rescuer, a ship's captain, a final tour of the various grass huts that he had constructed. This one here is my sleeping hut. This one's my eating hut. Over there is the hut that I use for storage. You see the one with the cross on top? That's where I go to church. What's the other one, asked the captain. The other one also has a cross on top. You would have to ask about that one. That's a church I used to go to, but I got offended and left. (laughs) And you know what? Just like that, often the problem isn't with the church. The problem is the people in the church known to drive even good men crazy. Verse 18, please. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. 
when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? David did not flee far. Ramah was only about two miles from Saul's hometown in Gibeah. If he was in a hurry, he could have been there in less than a half hour. Now, realizing now that Saul was determined to destroy him, David made his way to the prophet Samuel. But notice this. Samuel not only talked with David, but he walked with him to the next town. How that must have strengthened and encourage David's heart. The same holds true for all of us this morning. It's not enough to give good biblical counseling to someone who is struggling. No, we must also be willing to walk with them during their struggle. Just telling people how to live without offering them practical help is about as useless as a telephone operator with fresh breath. I mean, it's nice, but it really doesn't help the other person. As I walk my mail route and listen to sermons on my iPod, a whole host of prophets and apostles walk with me. One day Moses may be teaching me how the Levitical laws and sacrifices will one day culminate in the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on a cross. Later on, David may be taking me through one of the Psalms, reminding me that even if you are godly, Life can still be very hard, but in the midst of that, I can have joy. Maybe later, Jesus himself will encourage and remind me that he has never failed once to complete his project in one of his own, and I'm not going to be the first exception. If you don't already, I would encourage you to take these men with you wherever you go and allow them to speak into your life. Now, that Hebrew word translated prophesy can mean to sing songs and praise God, as well as to foretell events. Saul's soldiers didn't become prophets as we think of them. They only uttered words that had been inspired by God. God protected David and Samuel, not by sending an army, but by sending his Holy Spirit to turn warriors into worshipers. In other words, to prophesy means different things in different contexts. What seems to be common in all the various contexts is speech under the influence of the power beyond the speaker. Now, in closing, sometimes you hear people say, I believe that God has a sense of humor, and then they typically will use you as the example. But this is a great example of God's humor. Here come these top-notch, bloodthirsty assassins to kill David. But on their way through the foyer... God turns them into Sunday school teachers. Imagine the scene. You have this group of hardened, hairy brutes. I don't know if they're hairy, but that just wouldn't go with the word hardened. Here they're they're probably like, I can't wait to get in there and kill David. I'm sick of him getting all the credit and seeing my girlfriend swoon every time she sees him. 
I'm going to enjoy gutting him like a fish. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, God's Spirit comes upon them, and they start singing Kumbaya and hugging everybody that they see. That's just too funny, no matter how you look at it. So in chapter 19, we have learned that David was protected from his enemies in four different ways. And the same is true for us this morning. We have a prince who pleads our case. We're part of a bride that can save our lives. And we too know prophets who not only will tell us what to do, but will also walk with us every step of the way. And the Lord can even send the Holy Spirit to change my enemies, even as he protects us. And thankfully, he still does that today for any who will call upon his name. And Father, we are thankful for that. That you have put so many different ways that you protect us. I pray, Lord, for everyone in here that they would cling to that anchor. We live in a crazy world, Lord. If people don't know you, I pray today would be the day that they know you. If people in here know you or are discouraged, lift up the hands that hang down, Lord. Have your way today, Father. We pray for the food that we're about to receive, Lord. We are such a blessed people. Some people don't have enough to eat. Our problem is eating too much. So I pray that you would bless our fellowship today. Thankful for all the people that put work into it and uh, all the different dishes that everyone brought, Lord. Just pray you'd bless them for that. We thank you, Lord. Give us a good day of fellowship in you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, what we're going to do is if you will go down the right.